Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to a very special, exclusive edition of TF3, where today we're joined by Scott Nichols. Scott, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks, mate. Lovely to be here. We bring you on for a very special reason, because the other day, uh, sort of, by the way, Dave's here as well. Hey, Dave. Hi, guys. Uh, the other day, a random um, Twitter message popped up saying, hey, Lars, uh, from the Poon, um, the Poon Sherpa of the ULF podcast. And he said, uh, Scott has managed to procure an interview with Bob Bradley. Uh, and I think it deserves more ears than maybe I think I can give it. You could be the person that does that. And I said, I don't know anyone with a great podcast. And he said, maybe you could put it on your own. We said, great, we'll take it. Um, and so, so, Scott, tell me, how did the opportunity to speak to Premier League manager Bob Bradley come about? Honestly, um, there's a little bit of backstory to this. So I currently reside in um, Massachusetts in America, not far from Boston, mm-hmm. and I cover Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team. But I've always written about um, English soccer as well since I've been here. In fact, that's how I got to where I am now in the States by being able to do things like cover the Major League Soccer Cup final, uh, which I'm still waiting to find out where I'm going to be going for. So I'm talking with a a gentleman called Kurt Larson about Swansea, about something Garth Crooks said. And we're talking because they're all American and they're defending him and I'm playing devil's advocate. And a couple of hours goes by, I'm watching a Chelsea game on my phone in a Starbucks out here and all of a sudden in the sort of top right hand corner of my MacBook screen says this little Bob Bradley comes up, an email from Bob Bradley, and I thought, There's no way this is no way is this from Bob Bradley. Someone's winding me up. <laughs> mean joke. That's what I thought. I genuinely did. I thought somebody was winding me up. So I sit there and first of all, completely backtrack on everything that I've said. <laughs> just in case it is Bob Bradley. Well, I didn't really completely backtrack, but I just said, Well, thank you for giving me a different perspective on the matter. Um, it was something regarding Key, the player Key, and um, how I thought that he'd left him out to prove a point, as if to say, hey, I'm the new boss in town, you know, and, uh, this is me stamping my authority on the team by leaving one of the team's best players out. Yeah. Now, he shared some information with me off the record, and he gave me a different perspective on what's going on, what, ha- uh, what had been going on before. Uh, so I thanked him for that. And we continued conversing, but all the while we're doing this, I'm emailing his agent saying this is the email address he's emailing me from is this actually him oh my god and then i also and then i also reached out to a friend of a friend and colleague of mine who works for the boston globe he's covered every i think eight world cups now uh frank delapa 
who I know I know that he's email, um, emailed with him. I know that he's spoken with him. I know that he knows Bob very well. So I said, hey, you know, not really comfortable sharing this uh, email address with you, but can you, Bob Bradley emailed me, can you sort of, you know, do you think these match up? Is This is, it's, it's sort of this. And he said, no, that sounds like it's him. So now I have two people and his agent then gets back to me, then says, oh, yeah, definitely. So now I got three people. So now I know it's Bob Bradley. But, but, but Bob Bradley and, personally is emailing you. Yeah, Bob Bradley is personally emailing me at this point. And we're going backwards and forwards and he's saying, yeah, don't worry about it, my man. I don't take it seriously, that kind of thing, you know, but he, he reached out and I said, Hey, if you have the chance one day soon, I'd love to be able to speak to you about soccer, about football. Um, and he said, yeah, get in contact with me. It's just the week of Thanksgiving, mind you. So this is a week where, <coughs> excuse me, a week, um, that he was particularly busy as well. Yeah. And he actually emailed me at, I want to say it would have been about one thirty or two o'clock in the morning on Tuesday to confirm that it would be he would be okay for doing something was, this week. Was that UK time <laughs> or US time? UK time. Wow. Okay. The man is a workaholic. Yes. Let me really tell you that. Is, yeah. Nothing. He is a very impressive man. He is very knowledgeable. He immerses. He's a method actor. If there was, if you could compare him. With another profession, he's a method actor. He goes right into his role. He studies. He does everything that he needs to do to understand the culture of the club, what the club's all about, what the fans are all about. They've got. They're very lucky to have him, in my opinion. Um, since speaking to him, and then we um, set this interview up for Sunday. And at about five o'clock UK time on Sunday, I I called Bob Bradley, and said, "Hello, Bob. How are you?" And uh, we got to have a conversation for about an hour. It's great. And then the conversation <laughs> unfolded. Uh, and it, it, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. You know, you sent this to me just the other day. I've, I've been at a wedding and then I've been at work all day. And then uh, I've not had the chance to listen to this. I'm coming to this with fresh ears in the same way that the listeners are, as is Dave, actually. And the only person who's actually heard this on the podcast all the way through is Kristen. And he he said some he had some great comments um, and was, was really, really interested in some of the subjects you brought up. But I'm, I'm interested to hear what you thought was was a highlight for you or what you particularly were interested in asking him and where people should maybe prick their ears i think it's a great insight honestly to the working mind of a premier league manager it's something that i don't think we get very often to be quite honest we get snippets here and there from premier league managers about what they thought uh, how they thought the game went etc etc but right off the bat i asked him about the emotions of the day uh, first win but concede four goals and he breaks it down in a way that I've never heard a Premier League manager break down everything before and he, he gives you a real insight into how he works and how he does things and how he's trying to change the culture of Swansea but also how he understands that there used to be this thing the Swansea way you know how they how we know people like Brendan Rodgers and you know, Michael Laudrup how they would um how they played their football, how they did their training with the squad. And he's trying to reinstate that. He's uh, There's a lot of really great stuff in there. There's actually a really great part when he talks about the pressure uh, of being a professional soccer manager in general. And he says, you know, well, I'll let you listen to what he says. But it, the answer is extremely interesting. He goes all around the world and tells you about all of his experiences in um, Norway with Starbeck and um, in France with Le Havre. So 
that for me was a great thing. And then I asked him to record a special message for the Jack Army at the end there. So that's also a highlight for Swansea fans. Very interesting stuff. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm going to be fascinated to listen to this one through. I'm sure you guys will as well. Let us know on Twitter your thoughts. Um, and incredible story in the first place of being able to get an interview with a Premier League manager. I think an opportunity that so many people uh, would, would be fascinated to get. So this is a great insight in the first place. Uh, in that sense, if people are interested in seeing more of your work or hearing more of your work, Scott, where can they go? Well, they can follow me on Twitter, mm-hmm. at Scott Nichols. And they can go on Prost America with a K, America with a K dot com. That's who I generally write for, but I also occasionally you'll see me pop up in things like the Sports Post. Okay. I'm currently working on um, a long form article right now that may or may not be in these football times, but we'll leave that there for now. It's about Montreal and the Montreal impact and culture and soccer in Canada. So it's a, it's a really, really long article, but it's um, it's been a lot of fun to work on so far. So yeah, all, all over the place. I hope the article's not dependent on a result. Um, otherwise, yeah, sorry about that. No, um, it's not. It's not. It's not. Sure. No, it's not. It's actually, I'm actually hoping that they get through it because I wanted to involve some of the team like Mauro Biello and Patrice Bonnier. And, but, and they won't do anything right now because of the playoffs. So I'm hoping that they go through the playoffs and that I can delay this until after the new year and get everybody involved. So. Patrice is an interesting guy. Uh, a really a really nice guy. A very interesting person to talk to on and off the pitch. Um that sounds sinister genuinely sounds like a nice guy anyway um (laughs) here it is bob bradley exclusively on tf3 interviewed by uh, the journalist scott nichols go and have a listen right now hello and welcome to the front three podcast with me scott nichols now my guest today is a man who needs no introduction. However, we're going to give him one anyway. He is bob bradley manager of swansea city fc bob how are you doing today I'm doing fine, thank you. Good to uh, speak a day after, uh, for us, an incredible win and and hopefully uh, a win that's going to uh, help get things going in a better direction. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just go straight into the, the, the game yesterday because let, let's talk about it. You scored five goals but conceded four and, and as sort of an outsider looking in, you seem to me like a man who sort of likes a bit of structure and order, and I think you sort maybe you sort of lost that in that game yesterday. Could you just deconstruct um, the emotions of the day for us? Like, what was going through your head at that point? We went into the game feeling good. Uh, we had, I think, a good performance uh, at Goodison Park last week against Everton. Uh, I thought the first half there um, highlighted some of our best. Uh, periods of possession and uh, overall I think it was a good game Uh, sometimes even on your best days the ball doesn't bounce the way you want at the end so we gave up a late equalizer Uh, disappointed on that side of things but we were quite determined to to take the positives and uh, make sure that we had a really good week leading into uh, the Crystal Palace match which we we all recognize as being uh, important for many reasons and uh, like many games in the Premier League, uh, uh, a lot happens over 90 minutes. Uh, Crystal Palace decided yesterday to play Connor Wickham from the start with uh, Christian Benteke. So we knew going in that they would play in a more direct way. And uh, I think... Over the course of the first 35 minutes of the match, 
especially in duels with Benteke, we didn't do well enough. And then they scored uh, to take a 1-0 lead where Benteke uh, won a duel with one of our center backs, Jordi Amat. And uh, Zaha had come inside, and, and I don't think we did quite enough uh, getting inside quickly enough with him. And there was a little gap in the back four. And uh, at the end, Neil Taylor lost his balance a little bit, and Zaha was able to spin away and uh, nail one uh, from fairly close range. And, and Lucas Fabianski couldn't do too much about it. Uh, but I thought we had a pretty good response. And, and uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson scored a free kick somewhere around the 35th minute. We finished the half in a good way. Uh, at halftime, we spoke about changes, but felt it made sense to let everything go at the start of the half as a reward for what we thought was a good finish to the half. Uh, and somewhere around 15 minutes in, we... Uh, we made our first sub. We brought Fernando Llorente on. And, and he changes our team because over the first 60 minutes, we had used Gilfie uh, Sigurdsson as a little bit of a false nine. Uh, it gives us fluidity. Uh, he likes to come away from the defenders. And then the speed of Mo Barrow and Wayne Routledge can sometimes be effective as a threat. Uh, helps us a little bit in possession. Um, but when we bring Fernando on, he gives us uh, more of a presence. And, and from uh, the beginning, it helped. In fact, uh, when he went on, then it was an attacking corner for us. And immediately he got onto a, a really good delivery from Gilfie. And the uh, ball came loose, and, and Leroy Fair was able to knock it back in. We score a couple minutes later, again off of a set piece. So we take the lead with, with set-piece goals, and, and really what happens in the course of the game is uh, it flipped the other way because uh, at 3-1, I thought we conceded a, a poor goal um, from an attacking corner by Crystal Palace. Uh, we got pinned down low and the uh, ball bounced around, and, and we didn't do a good job. Uh, the third goal, the 3-3, was just one of these plays where – they put in a cross and uh, deflects off of Jack Cork and goes up into the corner. And quite honestly, at that point, you, you think, man, this team just needs some luck. Uh, this team <laughs> needs uh, something to, to turn it around. Uh, and so sure enough, we go down 4-3, but a uh, lot of injury time. Uh, Connor Wickham at the start of the second half, unfortunately, uh, got twisted up. Uh, no contact, but uh, an injury that could possibly be uh, ACL. And so the fourth official had told us that there would be seven minutes of uh, added time. Uh, and so we knew we had a lot of time and a credit to our guys because in the midst of a tough season where there hasn't been much luck and where things uh, have, have not come easy, you could tell there was still a real strong resolve. And, and again, having uh, Fernando up front meant that we could be a little more direct at that point in the game. So for us, uh, an important win, important to uh, show our, our supporters that uh, this team is still focused and determined. Uh, it was the first home win of the season. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a season where a lot, has taken place uh, beforehand. Uh, 
new ownership. I think many of your listeners will know that uh, American ownership. And uh, with that, there's there's always some questions and concerns. And so um, the hardcore uh, supporters here still are uh, wanting to know what, what the future holds and, and trying to understand uh, the vision of uh, Jason Levine and, and Steve Kaplan. And, you know, in the midst of that, uh, a managerial change. Uh, Francesco Guidoline had started the season and... Uh, I don't know Francesco well, but everybody that I've spoken to at the club uh, speaks about him in, in a really positive way. He's, he's a real football man. He uh, had a, has had an incredible uh, career as a manager. He's been at places like Udinese and Monaco, uh, Parma, but it's football. And so when results hadn't gone well after uh, seven matches, uh, that's when I was brought in. And the challenges when you arrive are, are big ones because when a team has gone through a, duff, uh, a tough stretch, uh, confidence is low. And, and so for me, you just need to get in and start to get as good an idea as you can of mentality of players, uh, physically, how's the group doing, what's been going on in training, Spend a lot of time looking back on games, trying to see if there's any patterns in terms of goals conceded, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, for us yesterday, uh, the win comes at a good time. Uh, for me personally, uh, uh, also important because uh, I think since I arrived that uh, the work has been good. The players have responded really well to training uh, the ideas uh, have been simple ideas uh, sometimes when you come into a situation like this you have to understand a little bit of what the club football wise has been about in the past and and try to restore confidence by going back to the basics of what swansea football has been about and and that has still centered around possession and that has still been where defensively uh, there's a, a good sense as a group of what the defendant looks like. Uh, we have some players that I think have played better uh, with a, a version of a three-man midfield. So we've tried to uh, sort of take things that have worked well in the past and simplify the message and, and see if we can't get everybody going in the right direction. Yeah, there's just there's a few things that I'd like to unpack within that answer. Um, I was going to save this for later, but um, for me, Swansea, the Swansea of old, let's say, uh, they always seemed to be a very proactive team. They always seemed like they were sort of two steps ahead of the game. Um, Swansea had an idea about who it was, how it wanted to play football, um, especially under people like uh, um, Brendan Rodgers, uh, Michael Laudrup, Gary Monk. And then since then, it seems as though the club has become a little reactive. It seems like um, it's reacting to things rather than trying to build on something. Is that something that you took to the owners when you interviewed for the job saying, hey, I want this team to be that two-step-ahead proactive team again rather than just a team who um, seems to be just rolling with the punches. 
In my discussions with uh, the owners, but but even more importantly, in my discussion with Hugh Jenkins, the chairman, who has right. been part of Swansea City Football Club for uh, many, many years and uh, helped see things through the, the very uh, successful period, uh, you indicated to me that, that Swansea always had a a way of playing, uh, the Swansea way, and people here like to refer to that. And he felt that that had been lost in the last um, year and a half to two years. So he felt that, that for whatever reason, um, that had gone away. And, and uh, we discussed that. And, and uh, certainly from a football standpoint, uh, I think even – uh, the players that have been around here for a while would say that training now uh, is similar to the, the type of training that they did when Brendan Rodgers was here, some of the training that Michael Laudrup uh, uh, was in charge of. So for me, uh, it wasn't a matter of, of changing my ways as much as it was just uh, trying to take some of the things that I've always believed in and then uh, tried trying to see if we could uh, get back to, to basics. And, and we can talk about proactive and reactive, but one of the things that happens when a team goes through uh, a difficult stretch and loses confidence, as I, I mentioned, is that uh, oftentimes defensively, the team begins to back off a little bit too much. Uh, and that idea of stepping up and closing things down and making sure that when one man goes, the rest of the team uh, follows and is with him. I think some of those things uh, sometimes can start to get away from you during a difficult period. And and so those were those were the kind of discussions that took place uh, between me and you. And then and, and from the day I arrived, those are the kind of uh, discussions that you start to have with players. And then you try to put that into action, into training sessions. And at the end, you try to turn that into – good performances on game day and and i think we've had uh, a few that that for me were positive uh, i think there's also been uh, a couple where we weren't satisfied uh, we 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 started against man united pretty well but uh after pogba scored uh, a goal about 13 or 14 minutes in for the rest of the half i i think we were all uh, very disappointed we became far too tentative and we lost uh, any kind of intensity. And uh, I think we had uh, an important uh, set of meetings after that game, even though it was during the international break and we didn't have everyone. Uh, and we really, we, 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 we really looked hard at some of the, the things that happened in that game. And uh, what I tried to do was, was to make sure the players knew that if any part of the preparation or the message had given them the idea that, that that's how we wanted to look, then uh, I was going to take full responsibility. Now, when you do that, you don't completely believe that that's what happened, but it's all part of establishing a trust with the players. And uh, again, it, it was a good way to make sure that they knew that uh, from my standpoint, our intensity, our, our, 
uh, our way of being a little bit more active and, and, and trying to, to make it difficult on other teams, trying to keep the ball, that we shared those ideas and that we just had to really find the right way to work to make sure it happened uh, for every game. Yeah, and so how how different? Like you speak about, you talk about how um, how the confidence was low when you first arrived, and and how much pressure that puts on players, and how that changes their game. How much different is the attitude within the camp right now, as opposed to what it was when you first joined? Not just um, with the players, but for yourself too, because you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it's a very is this the highest pressure job that you've ever had personally? Because you've been very successful wherever else you've been. Um, so it's it's a two-part kind of deal here. Players, confidence, and, and the pressure on you to um, raise that confidence and get results out of them. How different is that, being in that situation? Uh, let's talk about the pressure part for me first. Um, no, it's not the greatest pressure. It's the highest profile job in terms of... Uh, Fair being a manager in the, the Premier League. And when you consider um, how much attention the Premier League gets around the world, uh, and the, the media exposure and the, the, the fact that now uh, I become the first American to be a manager in the Premier League, and of course that, that will always mean that there are going to be skeptics. And so on that side of things, there's... there's uh, there's a part of that that just comes with the the magnitude of the the situation but in terms of pressure pressure that that you put on yourself uh, no it's no different uh, when you uh, when you're a professional coach professional manager uh, that still means that results get looked at so you can be in any league in the world, and there is still an expectation based upon the history of that club. There's an expectation based upon uh, the way results have gone in, in recent years. Uh, you know, it's an interesting, uh, strange comparison. I go to a small club in Norway, Stabæk, and they had just come up from the second league. And so many people said to me, uh, no, don't do it because you don't have a chance. Uh, it's not a club that at this point can stay in Tipoliga. Financially, they've had real problems. Uh, and, and I felt that it was still a club that had good people. Uh, I loved the fact that 20-some uh, years ago, there was this group of people uh, at Stabæk, and they had a dream that they could take the small football club from the fourth of the fifth league and get it up to the top league and they did it and and then when uh, they had some success uh, they made some decisions on the business side that didn't pan out and they crashed and when they brought me in and talked about the job I loved the fact that the people who had the idea at the beginning were still standing they were still there and it's not like they had disappeared and uh, I fell in love with the, with the people, with the, the passion and, and what the club was all about. And, and so the goal the first year was just to stay in Tipoliga. And we had a good start, better than anybody expected. 
And, you know, after nine games, we were doing pretty well. And then we hit a stretch where for six, seven, eight games, nothing went our way. And even at a small club, then there were questions. And um, people were saying, well, it was the beginning of the year a fluke. And um, what's going to happen now? And I, I can still remember with the players making sure that they understood that the same things we had talked about at the beginning of the year, uh, our ideas of football, uh, our sense of how uh, when you're a team from the second league, the way to stay up is not to go into every match hoping for a point, but the way to stay up is to have the confidence to play for three points and, and not be afraid. And, and so I reminded them that uh, nothing had changed and that uh, when you come from the second league to the first league, uh, nothing comes for free and you have to be able in difficult periods to put everything else aside and stick with the same ideas. So it's a weird comparison, but the pressure that you have in a small club, because there's probably uh, one one hundredth or one one thousandth of the number of supporters at, at a Premier League club. But guess what? The ones that are there are just as loyal, just as passionate, care just as much. When I used to go to the ta to the pub, um, they used to set it up um, probably four times a season where a couple players and, uh, and myself would go and sit and talk with our supporters. And they would all show up and they had real questions and they wanted to know what was going on. And, and so <clears throat> for me, the pressure of, of uh, – the job is what you put on yourself. It's making sure that, that the most loyal supporters are proud of what they see on the field. It's the pressure of, of making sure that every time that team steps on the field, it plays with some identity and with a real purpose. And like I said, uh, when I come here, I understand that uh, the spotlight's bigger, but it, it doesn't change uh, for me any part of how I work. And, and in fact, even in the press conference after the game yesterday, uh, as an answer to one of the questions, uh, I, I was I was saying that uh, I may not have Premier League experience or much Premier League experience, but I have a lot of experience. And so that experience of dealing with teams that go through a little bit of a rough spell, that experience of knowing how to uh, put your arm around the player during a, a period when his game isn't at the best level and still figure out how together you can get him back where he needs to be. Uh, the kind of one-on-one -on -one discussions, the type of team talks in these moments, uh, the decision when you go in at halftime, is it a halftime where we're going to um, give a simple message, make a few points? Is it a halftime where we need to raise the roof a little bit? You know, these are all things that, that are uh, coming from experiences that I've had in the past. And even if they've not um, been done in the Premier League, it doesn't change uh, the way you think and, and the way you work. And so I, I feel quite lucky that uh, over the years, I, I've been tested in enough situations that I still am very confident in the way I do things. Uh, great. I mean, and I was just that identity and purpose that you talk about too. 
I think that that really came through for the first time yesterday um, when you guys beat Crystal Palace. Um, do you think that that's going to help that sort of idea, that identity and purpose that they displayed from coming back um, from the 1-0 deficit and then from 4-3? Are you hoping that that sort of helps dispel the narrative, not just around your nationality, uh, not that I feel like that should be a thing, but for some reason it is, um, and then help you sort of make that connection with the Jack Army like you've had connections in Starbeck and at La Havre, all of that sort of stuff? Sure. I mean, look, uh, you, there's a few different levels. Uh, I, I, I think the work you do every day and, and the, the relationship and the trust you have with the players uh, for me, that's always first, and that's always most important. And I think that that part has uh, has gone well from the first day. But what has to happen in that part is that at some point, uh, players need reinforcement, and reinforcement only comes from results. And so yesterday was important because when things are going the wrong way, when the wind's blowing in your face, even players that have had success in the past – can easily fall into a trap where they start to think, man, it's just not our day, or man, it's not our year. And and trying to make sure that everybody understands that, yes, we're in a tough spot, but we're going to do it. Uh, that needs some some basis. And, and so yesterday helps on that end. Uh, I think we all felt it against Everton, but uh, you're not going to come in after giving up a late goal and, and drawing and, and celebrate like uh, you've won a big match. Uh, you have to take the positives, but still be honest that that's, uh, that's, a, that's a game we should have won. So, so from the player standpoint, I think yesterday is important. Uh, when it comes to the Jack Army and when it comes to the media, um, yeah, th then it's even, even more important because – uh, they don't necessarily see the work that goes on every day. Uh, they're, they're supporters. They show up in the stadium, and what they see then uh, during that match, everything is based on that, and, and let's face it, it's also largely based on that result. Uh, uh, every now and then, you, you, you might have a situation where even if the result doesn't come well, and the supporters still see the football's good and, and are satisfied. But if that's true, that doesn't last long. So, uh, you know, you've got to make sure with the supporters that they, they like what's going on from a football standpoint and there's, they start to see some results. And then, of course, there's the media. And, and, and uh, when you get in a bigger situation uh, and the media spotlight uh, becomes more intense, then then different things appear, whether they're true or not. Uh, it affects sometimes uh, decision-making, but I, I, I will say this, uh, even though I've not worked um, in a league like the Premier League before, uh, I have worked in enough situations, uh, and again, whether that's manager for the U.S. national team, whether that's manager for the Egyptian national team, I have worked in enough situations where uh, that media pressure um, is there, and 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 so uh, I think I've I've improved over the years at my ability to 
speak in the right way, find the right tone, uh, find a balance between uh, saying enough but not going crazy and saying too much. Uh, I, I think those are things that come from experience. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think every manager that's been in those type of uh, situations will also tell you that your ability to believe in yourself and your ability to sort of shut out uh, the scrutiny uh, becomes important. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, have been asked in different situations to, uh, to speak to uh, coaches in coaching courses. Uh, even, even when I was involved taking the UEFA Pro in Norway, uh, I spoke with uh, the Norwegian coaches. I spoke uh, at the Danish UEFA uh, with their coaches. And, and, you know, one of the things that I always end up talking about is this. You, when you take a UEFA pro course, a lot of it uh, focuses on leadership. And they do things like leadership profiles, and, and they try to give you an idea of, of making sure you know who you are and you, know, you go through the list of questions in this situation. Do I do it all the time, some of the time, most of the time? And at the end, it's all designed just to give you an idea of who you are. Uh, but at, at the end of all that, when you're a manager, here, here's what happens. Uh, you can go through a rough stretch. You've lost four or five games in a row. Uh, the media is calling for your head. And if you stand in front of the team, and if any of that shows, if you look like you're worried about that or, or in any way scared for your job, uh, then you won't last a week. Uh, players will sense that and you'll be finished. And so in all those situations, I've always tried to be clear that you need, uh, in order to succeed at a high level, you need to know in every one of these situations who you are and how you come across. And, and again, I do think that my experience is in all of these different situations um, have helped me know at least who I am and what I'm all about. And every time I go into a situation, uh, I'm very confident and comfortable that that's the way I'm going to work. If it doesn't uh, happen, then uh, look, there's nothing more you can do. And you know, the, the craziest thing in football is this. Uh, you can do everything right, but that doesn't always mean the ball will bounce your way. And so you, you, you don't always control results, especially in the short run. And so you have to be uh, very clear on how you're going to do things, how you're going to talk to the players, how you're going to work. And, and you can't let any of that uh, change based upon whether at the end of the Everton match we clear that ball or whether somehow – uh, Seamus Coleman manages to get on the end of it and, and head a looper uh, over Lucas Fabianski's head. And uh, I, I think those experiences come in handy every day. I mean, it certainly seems like Swansea is turning a corner, uh, especially compared to the first seven games of the season. I think you can see it on the field how much harder everybody wants to work for each other. Uh, that's the big thing for me. Um, but Going off of that, some people have suggested that there is a sizable amount of work to be done to the squad in terms of um, quality. But now that you've had the chance to uh, come in, evaluate the players that you have at your disposal, as you see it, how vital is it with the January window coming up for Swansea? 
Uh, we've had many discussions in-house, and I think we all agree that uh, we still need to look for ways to improve our squad. Um, the most uh, loyal Swansea supporters know that uh, uh, in recent years there's been some some real talent that has uh, been sold and left the club. And so even even if you go back to last year, uh, in the defense, Ashley Williams for many years was uh, a real leader in the back four. And uh, at a certain point, he had uh, the thought that maybe that was going to be a, another club for him. And so he's now at Everton. And and when you lose uh, the captain and when you lose a guy who, who in every situation uh, in the back line, organizes the others, talks, moves the line out, does uh, all of the little things to make sure that the, the back four is on the same page. Uh, then filling that, that gap uh, is a challenge. And I think um, we have four center backs. Uh, yesterday's pairing uh, Federico Fernandez and Jordi uh, Amat. And then we've also used uh, Alfie Mawson and uh, Mike Vanderhorn. And again, if you look at the whole season, uh, going back to the first game, there's been changes in the back four, and that's not usually uh, what you see with the best teams, with the most consistent teams. So uh, for, for me, uh, yesterday we played the exact same lineup as we did uh, versus Everton. And so that's the first time that I've uh, put out an unchanged lineup. And, and you know, when you, when you do interviews um, prior to the match, the first question you get every time is based upon number of changes that you make. And uh, when you're going through a difficult period, usually what happens is, uh, the individual uh, performances of players are up and down. And when that happens, then sometimes it's not so easy to figure out your best team. And I've been pretty honest about that since I arrived. Um, uh, it's not what you want to talk about, but the, the, the fact of the matter still is that um, to come into a situation where the team hasn't played well and act like you immediately – know your best team, uh, for me, that doesn't hold water. So we've tried step-by-step step to, to figure out um, how things work. I think we've seen uh, a number of players in the last uh, four to five weeks get sharper. Uh, I think we're, there were some players that had some small injuries. Now they seem to be fitter and, and back into full training. And so all of these things go hand in hand with uh, a team starting to get confidence and a team uh, starting to put a, a, a run of results together. And that's what's necessary when, uh, after a poor start to the season, uh, you're one of the teams that's in the drop zone. And so you said in prior interviews um, that sometimes you, well, that you always arrive not knowing all the answers, um, but you come with some of the questions. Sure. And I think that's a great attitude to have when you're going into a new place, a new team, a new country, um, a higher profile league. Um, and I suppose what what are some of the most surprising answers that have come out of um, asking those questions at Swansea? 
again, when I say asking those questions, uh, your 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 information comes in in all sorts of ways. Um, sure. You know, you 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 do have one-on-one discussions, uh, and so you know when I when I've talked to guys like Leon Britton and I, uh, and Joe Rangel, who who have been a big part of uh, uh, all of the successes at Swansea, uh, you know their sense of uh, things that have changed as different managers have come and gone. Their sense of uh, the kind of training that the, the players not only like, but the training that players uh, felt was necessary to be at their best. Uh, these kind of things go a long way. Uh, those players were able to give me a good idea of um, uh, some of the tactical ideas that they had uh uh, utilized with Francesco Guidolin, things that they liked, things that they felt maybe needed to be a little different. So you pick their brains a little bit. But then what happens is you go out on the, the training pitch. You, know, you construct sessions that um, that have different tactical uh, elements. You, you put together different combinations in training. And you start to then try to see uh, if the things that you're you're getting from one-on-one discussions are the same things that you're seeing, and then you spend a lot of time looking back on matches that have been played, uh, you start with this season. But what's actually interesting is that uh, after the uh, the the performance, uh, the subpar performance against Man United, uh, I actually went back and looked at three or four games from last year where players felt things had gone well. And I, I, I tried to, to see if I could put my finger on some of the things in those games that seemed to uh, to help. And, and, and so you, you, you try to gather information in as many ways possible. Uh, because look, your, your credibility at the end in terms of uh, what you do in training, and then ultimately who you pick and, and, and tactically how you organize your team. Those things have to make sense. And and you don't take a poll with players and say, well, do you agree or disagree? But through experience, you get a pretty good idea over time whether players uh, have the confidence in what's, in what's being said, what's being done, and, and ultimately how it it, it ends up being put on the field on game day. So, uh, I, again, I think we're 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 working in a good way, but uh, I, we can't get ahead of ourselves either. Because uh, if you if you have a poor start to the season, uh, then you you have to admit that there's a real, uh, if you want to say, or a, a a long road to get yourself where you want to be, and. Uh, you can't be afraid of that. Uh, you can't ignore that. Uh, but you have to have a consistent approach so that little by little you can uh, uh, move the team forward. And so the way and you talk about players like Jordi and Mark, players who were there before you got to Swansea, players like Gilfie Sigurdsson I'm sure you talked to, about how Swansea played and how the tactics were run. Um and when they were scouted um, 
for Swansea. They were obviously identified as players that sort of embodied Swansea City Football Club. Um, so just again going into this January window now, how? And I'm sure you've done your due diligence. Everybody, I'm sure you've done that. But all the due diligence and scouting in the world sometimes can't really account for character of people, of players. Um, I find. Now, do you do? First of all, do you find that that that's true? Second of all, is that one of the biggest challenge of improving your team is bringing in not just a player whose ability could improve you, but whose character can too. Uh, it's interesting that uh, you've brought out uh, uh, a part of, of the discussions that have taken place since I've arrived. So in a club uh, like Swansea City, obviously, uh, I've mentioned Hugh Jenkins a few times and he's played a central role. Uh, but then there's uh, a scouting team and, and uh, a head of recruitment, Dave Ledbetter. And so uh, I've had discussions with them. I, I get their feedback on uh, some of the players that are here. Uh, in some cases, they can give me an idea if they think that that player has played at the level they expected. If not, why? Uh, and, and, and those kind of conversations usually then uh, get into, uh, yes, character, mentality, uh, some of the things that maybe don't always uh, seem so obvious. And, and, and I think that, that in the most successful sports organizations, so not just football, but the most successful sports organizations, people have a real sense of, of what a guy brings. Is he a winner? Is he smart? Is he unselfish uh you know i i'm, I'm pretty certain that uh, if we were lucky enough to have greg popovich on this discussion and, and <laughs> we were able to get him to start to talk a little bit about the consistency and the the overall success of the san antonio spurs uh we get a pretty good idea of, of what type of people they want to have and, and i think that's uh absolutely essential and when you come into a new club uh, there are people in place that uh, are, are already far down the road identifying players and I just make sure that that part becomes uh, uh, another part of the discussion as we move forward and so we, we still have a lot of work to do but I feel like uh, so far we, we are uh, seeing a lot of things the same way and, and trying to figure out uh, what we can still do to uh, add some of the right kind of guys and improve our squad because uh, like like uh, everyone knows, when, when the first half of the season has been difficult, uh, when you make a few changes, the right kind of guys can really uh, pay big dividends in a, in, a, in a second half where there's a lot to play for. Now, speaking of the right kind of guys, um, because of his leadership qualities, his uh, footballing ability, his experience as a soccer player, both on the international stage and the top team and in the top leagues in Europe, um, and not just that, because of his character, I would be remiss if I didn't ask: Is there any chance that you contact Toronto about possibly bringing Michael over on a short-term loan deal, Michael Bradley? 
We've not discussed that one. Michael obviously is uh, uh, completely focused on uh, the second leg against Montreal and and the hope of uh, uh, getting Toronto uh, to an MLS Cup final. And, uh, you know, look, there there would be so many parts of that discussion. It's not something that... uh, uh, in the moment has been discussed at all. Uh, and, 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 you know, Michael uh, is still, anybody who knows him knows that he's still very motivated in his career. Uh, his decision to return to MLS uh, has has uh, been, been scrutinized in many ways. Uh, and what I, I, I think uh in in a few occasions when i have talked about it the one thing that i i tried to always say is this that uh, uh, michael spent eight years in europe he loves european football um but he's also uh he's a competitor and after the first season at roma uh, where he felt that he had played well and, and had been an important part of the team. Uh, he was frustrated in the second uh, season when Rudy Garcia became manager, and they had talented midfielders, uh, De Rossi and Strutman and Pjanic, all talented players. But Michael felt that uh, he was in the, the same group, and and he felt that, it, it frustrated him that if he had the best week in training or had played well in a match, that if that didn't count for more, then he sometimes felt that uh, that, that wasn't what he wanted. And, and he really wanted to find a situation where he was going to be tested as a leader, where he was going to be responsible for what that team was all about. And Toronto was a big challenge. And... Uh, it's not been an easy uh, situation at all, but they've made progress every year. And and I know how committed and how motivated he is uh, and how excited he is about the opportunity they have. So in the moment, you know, I'm, I'm excited for him. And, uh, uh, you know, we've had moments where our football paths have crossed, um, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't always work out either. So uh, I, would, I would highly doubt that it's uh, – uh, the kind of thing that fits uh, well at the moment. Well, I, I want to take the opportunity just now to thank you for the amount of time that we've had to speak. It's been extremely interesting. Um, it's been eye-opening. It's been a fabulous discussion. The last thing that I want to ask you or sort of uh, ask you to sort of say for us is um, imagine you're on stage in front of the entire Jack Army right now. This is your time to say to them exactly what you want to say to them to put across some sort of message. What is that message that you have for the Jack Army? That uh, I understand the history of the club. I understand how much uh, it means to every one of them every time we step on the field. And that uh, uh, I am here to do everything I can to give them a team that they are proud of and a team that uh, they enjoy watching every week. Bob, thank you so much. 
uh, for all the time. Congratulations on your first win, the first of many, we hope. Um, thank you very much. Good. Thanks for having me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So there you go. Uh, Bob Bradley, exclusive on Tier 3 with Scott Nichols. Scott, was there anything you felt you left out of the interview, or do you feel overall very happy with the what, what was said and, and what you got? There were certain things that I did want to ask that I had written down, but because of the way the interview was going and the way that he was answering my questions in such depth, I felt like either the questions had been answered to a point or that trying to add them in would just add unnecessary noise to the interview at that point. Uh, I wanted to ask him about whether he feels comfortable defining what a Premier League, the characteristics of a Premier League game. I wanted to ask him about uh, Jürgen Klinsmann, but... I thought we all know his thoughts on Jürgen Klinsmann and, you know, I've got this man for an hour. So, but that would perhaps next time now that there's a relationship or rapport there, as it were, I could maybe ask him about that sort of thing. Um, The only other thing that I wanted to ask, and I think that he did touch on it and listeners, you might agree was I wanted to uh, go a little bit more in depth about his time in Egypt because he was in Egypt at a time that was after the Arab spring. And it was right before and all through the Port Said massacre where 73 fans got stabbed in a side of stadium during a match by opposing fans. Uh, and what that was like and how uh, that affected the quality of the Egyptian national team because the play was suspended for two years. Mm. At a, and it's, so it's such a tumultuous time. So I wanted to ask him about that on a personal level, but perhaps that's another uh, question for another day. Well, it's been fascinating stuff. Dave, if you could ask your favourite Premier League manager, I'm I'm not claiming that Bob Bradley is uh, Scott's favourite Premier League manager, but if you could ask your favourite Premier League manager a question, what would you ask them? Jose, what did the bottle do to you? Ooh, (laughs) Dave. Excellent banter, but it will date quickly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, anyway, uh, he's been sent to the stand since. It doesn't really matter. I was trying to think of what I'd ask Jürgen Klopp in this time. Uh, make a lot of things. This is what I found very interesting is that actually, Scott, someone's gone out of their way to reply to you. And normally most managers, a lot of managers, would just leave it. So can I just actually, he didn't reply to any. Someone sent him this conversation and he reached out to me because my email address was in my Twitter bio. Wow. I, I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it now. He actually emailed me directly after the Swansea game after the win as well, which was even better. 
So that's sick. Even tastier. Uh, little insights there, and hopefully we'll get Scott on a lot more on the podcast. Scott, it's been lovely to have you again. Let's remind people of your uh, of your Twitter handle just before they go, because people probably will have enjoyed this. It is at Scott Nichols, and that's Nichols with two L's. Yeah, go over and have a listen uh, again to the podcast, uh, and give uh, give give Scott a follow. Uh, fascinating, interesting stuff, great stuff to have uh, Scott on the podcast. Scott, we're very grateful to get the interview on uh, TF3. Don't forget to share this one with your friends because I think it is a particularly good interview to go and share. Uh, with a lot of other people considering it is with a, a Premier League manager this isn't the BBC this isn't Sky Sports this is literally you know just just an independent uh, platform so a really a really great place to, to have this kind of content uh, and if you want to hear more stuff like this let us know and we will tweet at more managers uh, hopefully about their selections and lineups and then they'll reply and then we'll get exclusive interviews with them I, I trust that's how now it works in the media uh, anyway Scott Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much uh, for giving us this interview. Um, uh, it's, it's been good to have you, man. Hey, it's it's my absolute pleasure. It's always uh, very humbling to be asked to do these things and just to know that people uh, like the things that I do. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> you it's funny. Dave and I were having a very similar conversation not long ago. Uh, and of course, Dave, uh, people want to go and find you. And of course, if a manager is out there, they're listening and thinking, hey, this Dave guy, he keeps tweeting stuff about my left back. I don't like it. I'll tell you what, Slavin Bilic, make that happen. Yeah. That would be beautiful. Yes. Or maybe even Ronald Koeman, because he's getting it this season. He is getting it from you, Dave. Uh, <laughs> it's funny how the phrase getting it can mean so many different things. Anyway, um, <laughs> D- Dave, uh, where can people go find you? Um, on onto Twitter and type in the front three and hit that follow button. Fantastic stuff. We'll see you again real soon right here on TF3. Okay. Okay. Sir, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you giving me 51 minutes and 43 seconds of your day. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with that. Thank you very much. Um, and yeah, genuinely, good luck um, for the rest of the season. I really do feel like um, you guys are turning a corner. Um, I'm still shocked that uh, you reached out. Um, I'm thankful that you did. Uh, genuinely, because I just want to say that to you now in actual voice, <laughs> because rather than through text um, in an yeah, email. I appreciate. So, it. Like I said, every now and then, I, you know, look, I don't read everything that everybody writes. Um, no, of course. You no, know, but I, I see different things, and yeah. if I see somebody that I think still is trying to uh, write things uh, and, and look at the game and, and spend time with it, and then if something comes out that uh, that for me is is uh, off base. Then every now and then I, I shoot a guy an email. Sometimes it's well received. Sometimes it's not. Uh, you know, I, I don't do it often. But like I said, the uh, the, the part with uh, Keith and Young, mm. uh, you know, was just somebody shooting from the hip. And I guess that's yeah. what pundits do sometimes. But whatever. Yeah. It, uh, there's not. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Nothing more to it. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 